Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery. I have with me Roger Hart. Hello. Lucy Boys. Sup, kids? Lucy's read something. I have. Tell the kids about it. It's bad machinery. It's about kids. You've all read it yourselves, probably. I don't, I don't know that they necessarily have. I mean, it's been going for seven years at this point. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that people have stumbled across it, though, does it? No, it's um, it's John Allison, the guy of uh, Scary Go Round Bobbins, formerly. Also, oh, Giant Days. The tea towel man. Yes, the man with the tea towel. The man, the man from the UK Ladder Council. Hmm. Don't tit about on ladders. Um, <laughs> what will... So I've come back to Bad Machinery because I dropped it at a time when I wasn't reading comics for no fault of its own. And now that I am reading webcomics again, I'm decided to pick it back up. It's charming and hilarious. I mean, I think it's a really good example of someone who's just... I mean, he's obviously a very funny and very talented man, but he's also just fucking put the work in over decades at this point. Yeah. Like, he's been honing his voice and his shtick for a really long time, and it's... I think Bad Machinery is probably the kind of the thing that flowered from that from the beginning the most. Yeah, I I, I remember reading the first case because it's it's broken down into like basically one case per year. Mystery stories, yeah. Yeah, they they're kind of like Scooby Doo except Set the ghost, at a secondary school. Yeah, in sort of a grim, North declining England. industrial town. Yeah, a bit, but full of, of mysteries. A bit Rachel Smith. Yes, very yeah. similar. They both have a weird fire obsession as well. Who doesn't love fire? Not fire. I've started man. several small fires. I think they secretly like well, it. Otherwise, the, why do they keep running the, towards the it? The tackle for fireman's test is is two sections. Number one, how much do you hate fire? Yes, no, and extremely. And two is push-ups. Just push-ups. Can you do push-ups? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love his sense of humor. I, I mean, so it, it, feels, it feels really complete it feels like there's nothing missing from it it's its own thing absolutely well around a self-contained yeah. universe yeah i mean so so just picking up on a couple kind of a cold open panel two of the teenagers are talking before school and one of them's talking about their teacher he's old sonny he's going to be boring and sonny's like he might be old and fun like a sea turtle <laughs> <laughs> oh so it's got that kind of like Buffy-ish, but maybe but very different, but that kind of kids that talk in a way that you can completely pass as kids talking, but kids don't talk like that? Yes. 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 Yeah. So Fake kid idiom. Rapid, rapid fire, quippy kids, which only gets better when they actually do a school play, which is uh, David Mamet, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So people, <laughs> people who already talk like spoof David Mamet characters doing David Mamet is fucking wonderful. Yes. But also doing it insincerely because yeah. it's them. Um, also, the advice that if you are afraid you might regret getting a tattoo, make your grand get it first. <laughs> do, you, do you want to hear his take on the Velvet Underground? Of course, uh, yes. Through an 11 year old, it's nice that you gave some money to people who are making music for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, um, have you picked up Giant Days at all, the new um, I Boom read Studios the one? The first one, but I haven't read the rest. So the first one kind of suffered for me by not being drawn by John Allison because there's, yeah. there's a visual idiom thing going on as well. There's a weird kind of stretchy, compression y oh, thing as people have. I thought that that was really going to bother me, and I think it did for maybe one or two issues, mm. but I kind of relaxed into it after a while. I should have persevered because the voice presumably is strong enough that it carries yeah. it anyway. And the artists are clearly sort of working broadly within his idiom. In on it, yeah. 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 Um, I, I've really enjoyed it so far. I've read the first two trades and it's been very It's two good. trades now. 
Yeah, I think the third one's going to be out fairly soon. Time moves quickly when you're old. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is really sneaking up on me. Yeah, it's the, the inevitable, you know, slide into the grave. Yeah, well, that's fine. I mean, I've been waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry that you learnt about your slow decline through publishing schedules for Boom Studios comics. I know, it's fine. I've been, um, it, it, it had been gnawing at me gently. I just hadn't brought it to the forefront of my consciousness. Okay. John Allison, though. Good dude. He seems nice as well. Yeah. Good glasses, like mm. a grandma's glasses. He's uh, a reliable fixture of, of the, the UK con circuit. We nearly ran him over going out of Thought Bubble last year. Really Thank you that you didn't. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't. Also, he, he got old real fast. Really? Yeah. Do you remember like, like two or three years ago, the last time? He's great now. No, 2012, man. Oh. That was, yeah. Yeah. yeah but by the time I see him again, I'll be grey now. Is it like Foxy Dignified grey? Of course. Oh. A sprinkling around the temples, sort mm. of thing. Mm. Yeah. I did like a silver fox. I saw him in the Fitzwilliam Museum. He was on his yeah. way to see the uh, caricature exhibition that was on a couple of months cool. ago. Did you say hi? No, hi. I just sort of stared at him for a oh, while. okay, yeah. Like yeah. he was your god. Why is, why is he here? Maybe he's here to break things, but yeah. that's an I mean, I was, I was there to see an exhibition on the history of cartooning, and I kind of assume he was too. Mm. Did you see also like all the articulated gauntlets and stuff though? Because that's quite a good bit of yeah. the Fitzwilliam really yeah. Museum. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that bit. Although they do keep having their stuff stolen and knocked down and broken, and they're not necessarily don't, the best at treating precious artifacts. Yeah, I don't hurt about the vases. They don't like that. No. There is a there is a room full of weapons that look like uh, just like off the genre one weapon inexpertly welded to another. Yeah. So it'll be like a pistol with three daggers underneath. It'll be like some shit in a video game specifically pointed at fourteen year olds. Because it's an actual rifle with a Morningstar hanging. Yeah. Off it. yeah. People just made that shit. Yeah. The ones in Salzburg are genuinely beautiful. The ones in the fits looked like they were done on Scrappy Challenge. Hmm. Mm. That says a lot about the local character, I guess. Yeah. There's also a big exhibition in, in Salzburg Castle. We've really strayed, but hey, we're, we're into it. We're talking. This is the armor we're cast. We're just talking about armor now. Um, there is a section in Salzburg Castle now about just genuinely weird torture devices. Yeah, and they're no. like, but they're not. They're not like physical pain. They're just like a big pig's head shaped helmet that people got strapped into just to make the them look stupid. Shame. Yeah. Also, yeah. it was like. Made of iron and very heavy. So yeah, probably, yeah, probably, probably wasn't, probably wasn't a great time. You might feel a bit suffocating on the inside. There's a, there's a brilliant exhibition in there of just uh, row after row of um, wooden mannequins wearing different sets of the armour through the ages, oh, posed as though they're in battle, oh. and then you can sort of walk along. I think this was put up the year after you went. Uh, I like the one that's, that's a gun with an axe on it. Got to have an axe gun. I can't. Like, every time you look at a gun, you think, oh, it's okay, but if there was just a little hatchet hanging off under the barrel, I'd be a lot happier. Yeah. Can I also point out that the Fitzwilliam Museum does really good canapes? Really? Oh, yeah, we yeah. went to the party! We had that thing that time for the yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, we had the fancy museum canapes. Yeah, they were good, apart from one of them was just, a, like, individual, not very well-cooked potatoes filled with cream mm. cheese. I should point out that we're not fancy people and we don't, like, go to museum parties. Very often. Except that one time I've we did. I've one in 27 years. So. We, go to, we go to museums. I Sometimes really in Austria. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, we've both done that. Incidentally, me and Roger have come dressed the same today, both wearing salmon pink t-shirts and blue shorts. I think that's worth pointing I'm out. I am disturbed by the fact that you have knees. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing shorts, I've, which I've you've never done before. Very rigidly. I, I have worn shorts before. No, it's not true. I have. Well, are you five years old? 
Did you have a little cap as well? When I was five years old, I had rainbow braces. Yeah. Like Rainbow the TV show, didn't no, it? No, just rain, rainbow colored braces, like Mork from Mork. Zippy and Buckle? No. No, I'm not. I'm just not taking that bait. No, not running with it. You've yeah. You've, you've basically come dressed as the unkind caricaturist's version of me. I think that's fair. I've come dressed extremely, as extremely myself. unkind, but fair. I've come dressed as myself. I always yeah. do that. It is um, touching thirty degrees outside, and you are wearing a hoodie. That's kind of impressive. Well, yeah, Dave it's air conditioned. We're fine. Yes, Dave is flaunting his curves in a in a branded bookshop T-shirt and a pair of like weird, slightly stoner shorts. That is, again, entirely fair. And some Converse. Where are they from? Are they from Matalan? They're from ASOS. We've strayed, I feel. <laughs> Roger, have you read anything that's not on topic? Sorry, to I was just going to run down about where my outfit was from. But, um... <laughs> Don't. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> That's Roger's contribution to the show for today. <laughs> Do you want to know what I've been reading, kids? My bra's from Asda. Is it? Yeah. Which bought some more, they're like four pounds. Do they make a good bra? Do they? No, but they make a four pound bra. <laughs> they fall apart so much in the washer, just buy new ones. You're like that guy from Soylent, but not awful. I don't like lingerie shopping very much. Who does? It sounds horrible. Yeah. Have you read any fucking comics? Sorry, what? This is a comics podcast. Have you read any you comics sure to talk sure? about? Not increasingly <laughs> less and less. <laughs> That's not what it said on the sign on the door. This week I've not done any off-topic reading um, because Ode to Kirito is 800 fucking pages long. Well, I've done a little bit. Why don't you tell us about it? Okay. I read um, a newish comic called The Goddamned by Jason Aaron. Um... Adam Guerra and Julia Brusco. Um, it was... So, imagine the Old Testament as a Conan story. Right. As I always do. Starring Cain. Like, basically unkillable, very angry, storming about the Old Testament, murdering shit, trying to find a way to die or to get God to forgive him so he can finally die. Um, Intense. Yeah. And whilst I didn't think it was a brilliant comic, it was really interesting in the way that it fundamentally went into quite quite grim ways of portraying early societies. It's Mm. just, you know, it's 20 people hanging around, eating rotten fruit to get drunk, and fundamentally being fucking terrible. It was just going to have been like that, though, wasn't it? Yeah, there's no one who is not fundamentally a marauder of some kind. I mean, presumably that's how you survive. That's like the one model for being a human in that society. Yeah. I mean, I presume people settle, but then you're going to be fundamentally paranoid about other people coming to take your turnips away. Also, you're going to fucking... Your wife is going to die very young and not have any calcium in her body. Yeah, that's you also a keep time. making her poop out babies. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, survival strategies for men and women are, are not the same. Mm. Uh, it's rubbish. Um, so it does go into it goes into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems sort of like a promising, grim romp. I mean, it's it's Jason Aaron, and he does tend to write fairly grim stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the really grim version of Thor lately, and he's done various other things. I liked it, but I didn't like like it. Okay. I read the new volume of Saga. 
Oh, volume six is out. Volume six. Mm. I am so behind on science. Um, the whole passage of time thing is relevant. Yeah. This is this is this is something you're struggling with today. Yeah, volume five is at one of your houses, I presume, because I don't have it. Not mine. Um, might be mine. It's, unless you went into Giles. I haven't read it. No, I tend to just take stuff back from him when he's drunk. Um, <laughs> Giles, if you're listening, I want my comics back. Although I think it's mostly Hester's fault. Saga's still good. Um. Is it going somewhere? It's it's taking big leaps through time now, so there's a whole lot of stuff happening that um, it's sort of missing out two or three years at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still really good. And it, by not having to plot everything, it does just allow quite a lot to happen. It allows it to reframe narratives in a fairly sensible way without making them feel, holy shit, how did we get here? Mm. Um, Are they still doing the bad video dramas? No, well, well, well past that now. You've probably got my volume five. Probably. Always oh, doing a face. Doing a face. We're all doing a face. So, Saga's still good. Sixth Gun is still good. Good? Which um, one's Sixth Gun? Sixth Gun is a um, weird western about six weapons oh, yes. that will end and possibly remake the world. Possibly um, remake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of... I like those all. Down at heel, um, sort of a down at heel posse of uh, gamblers, idiots, carnival mummies, and uh, various supernatural creatures. All your friends. Yeah, basically. Uh, uh, it's the most you comic. Are, are on it's the run from. Carnival um, freaks, it's old timey. There's a, there's a Civil War general who is just sort of a, a corpse in a coffin with chains that fly off and strike people. And, yeah, this could have um, been made for you. Or you, to be fair. Um, Being as you share the same meat sack. <laughs> just thought it would be funny if people thought that you were like two heads on one body. Just gonna let that hang there. Um, it's like the Black Knight from the... It's by Colin Bunn, who you both yes. appreciate. Yeah, we do like Colin yes. Bunn. Um, so Bunn. if you like uh, his stuff in Harrow County, this is... This is uh, the slightly, slightly more spiced more, up? Slightly frothier, more adventurous mm. one. Like, uh, if if uh, Harrow County was his uh, dollhouse, this would be his Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's definitely um, a frothier, more adventure-based mm. uh, story, even if it's quite grim in places. Um, it's still good. I think I'm seven volumes into it now, which is quite rare for me to read seven that far. Volumes. Yeah, Ooh, seven, seven straight well, Standard traits. Yeah. Ooh, That's boy. going so. Yeah, and I'm I'm still a couple behind as well, and that's, a couple of spin-offs. Behind. That's longer than I will stick with most things. There's a lot going on. There's a pen and paper RPG as well, mm. full of because mummies and laser yeah. targeted at you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've never played a pen and paper RPG, or at least I haven't since advanced fighting fantasy when I was ten or so. You probably would. You might. I would. Like I don't know. I'm quite you play board games. I play board games. Yeah. yeah. I would quite like to do some pen and paper. It, we could make it happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should get a comics-based one and do it as a podcast. We could do. We just had like an idea live on the air. Yeah, but let's pretend that we've never ever heard of Dan Harmon. Okay, I've never heard of Dan Harmon. Who's Dan Harmon? Fuck knows. Why'd you keep bringing him up? <laughs> hey, I also read a thing called Filmish uh, by Edward Ross. Oh, I heard this was interesting. Um, which is sort of a introduction to film theory. Um, told as a comic. Mm. Yeah, so... It's sort of it's a little bit like um, understanding comics in that mm. it is the author presented jumping from um, film to film. Uh, 
and it's a really nice little overview of um, bits, selected bits of film theory, I would say. So, first of all, it's got a section called the eye, which is sort of how we see in film, a little bit on the grammar of film. Mm. Then the body, which is how bodies are viewed in film. Mm. Um, and a lot of it crosses over into sort of feminist theory of film, and mm. there's quite a lot of it on male gaze. Mm. Um, but some genuinely, some stuff that I genuinely hadn't heard before, like sort of the, the, the way that the male body is treated under the male gaze, mm. um, not as sort of... Uh, not as sort of a symbol of strength and virility and a, and a sort of something to aspire to, but as a sort of vessel for pain, mm. almost, mm. which is something that I had never considered. It's If you're interested in bits of film theory, it's definitely worth a look. It's, mm. um, it's a good read. Um, I'm a huge nerd, so kind of familiar with a lot of the themes in the film that it's talking about. I'm not sure how it would fit if you didn't know a lot of sort of the classics mm. like how would this play if you've not seen Citizen Kane for example um, do you want to find out because I can read it and tell you that would be good I'm, I mean it probably says a lot about me that I'd much rather read a comic about film theory than watch a film it's on it's a challenge and I'm, I'm probably somewhere a little further along and I've mm. maybe seen a bit more and maybe a little bit more interesting but not massively mm. like I don't really engage much so I'd also I'd also be very curious to read yeah. it well, we'll pass it around. Mm. I, yeah, I, when I was sort of in my early 20s, was much more of a film nerd than anything else. Mm. Um, One can tell from your Blu-ray collection. Yeah, well, that's tiny compared to oh, the yeah. DVDs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember working with you at the time, and you were the only non-insufferable film nerd I'd met at the time. I've since met some non-insufferable, more non-insufferable film nerds. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I think if you're interested in film, it's going to be a good read, even if you're not necessarily getting anything um, hugely new out of it. And yeah, I'd be curious to see what you guys make of it. Mm. So that's Filmish by Edward Ross. And so what's it uh, stylistically? Stylistically, very, very cartoony. Um, so again, not unlike the Scott McLeod stuff. Yeah, it's sort of if it's it's sort of into the iconographic level of abstraction, which you get if you've read Understanding Comics. My God, this is recursive, isn't it? Uh, the last thing I read off topic uh, was uh, City Inside by Tully Walden. So City Inside is um, is about a young woman who, when we you see her in what appears to be a sort of therapeutic environment um, and the therapist starts talking her through a narrative of her life and how she isolates herself um, and the things that operate to bring her out of isolation and allow her to function in the real world and then how they fall down again. Um, and how she sort of builds up a sense of self in isolation that allows her to survive, which is the, the city inside, is this sort of understanding that her on her own is enough, even if it's huge and confusing at times. Um, and there is a, another level to the story that I won't go into because it sort of happens in the last few pages. Um, but again, like like sort of um, 
like previous stories of hers, it takes a very, very simple idea and some um, some reasonably complex imagery um, to tell quite a simple haunting story. And does it, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, project a bunch of weird landscape around a bunch of kids? Yeah. It doesn't not do that. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't not do that. Um, there are some sort of metaphoric structures, like, so you retreat to the sky and the character is sat there on basically a flying house fishing off the porch. Um, I think Tilly Warren is fantastic, but there's definitely some things she does. All of her comics are fairly short, so I think like, if, if she was writing 200, 300 page monsters relying on the same mm-hmm. imagery every time, I would, I would struggle with that. But I think given that they're all small explorations around sort of identity and self in place and time, yeah. I think that's, I think it's fair to work in that idiom. Oh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not really criticising, it's just kind of... She's got tropes. Yeah, she, she definitely does. Um, and then you get to the back of the book, and it says about the author, Tilly Walden was born in 1996, and then you put it down and you cry for a while. This is why I haven't read any of her stuff, basically. I'm such a fragile fucking glass ball that I cannot bear the fact that anyone younger than me is succeeding when I am just failing and failing and failing. <laughs> It's going to get so much worse the older we get. Oh, God, I know. I mean, it's kicked in earlier than I expected. Other than that, I thought it was a good book. Mm. Yeah. You know, other than that. tweaking gently in my hopes and dreams. Her uh, books have this really sort of ephemeral, upsetting quality. Though. Yes, I know. <laughs> I assume she's just suffered some really horrible shit in her short, short life. But she's but so But how has nice. it not stopped her from creating? I don't know, the really good drugs, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But she is lovely. Right? Yeah, she's, she's, she's like, nice. She's possibly the happiest person I've ever met. It could have been insincere. I don't know. I think everyone was. This pretty... could be insincere. She's just really happy. Yeah, everyone, everyone was really hungover. So. Yeah, everyone. Was happy my... by comparison. No, I, I think know. she was. I think she was hungover and happy. Oh. Terrifying. But, but very, very young. It's possible at that age mm. to be hungover and not. Just a festering vessel of despair. Yeah, 20, not very much. I could occasionally be perky when I'm over. Mm. I mean, I once drank close to three litres of wine with my mum and came to work the next day. Yeah, I've, I've done similar. Mm. I drank yeah. four whole bottles of red wine and turned yeah. up to work. Was yeah. that a book club? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. book club, yeah. But, yeah. um... Yeah, whereas nowadays your hangovers just basically turn you into Gollum. <laughs> That's only the narrative. He, no, he hissed at me. Hissing and, and shrinking from the light. Hates fat hobbit and threw a bunch of sausages at me. <laughs> I did throw those sausages at you. These things happen. I don't know if it's true anymore. No, I remember this. It was a pancake of vegetarian frankfurters, wasn't it? For the love of God, the sausages of my people are not a missile. (laughs) I was hungover. It was a complicated time. He was in my house. So today, when we're not talking a ferocious load of old shit, um, we're going to be talking about manga. Hmm. Well, we might still be talking a ferocious load of old shit. Yeah. No promises. Um, but Roger, perhaps you can explain how we came to this. Yeah, we've um, we've been skirting around this for a bit. Like we've been doing this for what two and a half, three years? Since two thousand and twelve. Crikey! Yeah. 
And time spiraling mm. away. And we occasionally That's do. That's our theme. We occasionally do read some manga, right? I yes. Think of the three of us, I'm slightly more likely to to grab some. Yes, You're but I don't think we ever do it reliably. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, and I will let, let, let's just get this out of the way, like. In the same way that the Franco-Belgian stuff and the Bon Désonné stuff, it's all just comics. It happens to be bigger over there, yada, yada, yada. We'll, let's just assume that everyone knows that, that stuff. We might, we might get into it a bit. But what interests me... No, not what interests One of the things that kind of, I guess, pulls me to this is that back when Mr. Congre and I were shoveling comics for a living, it was the, uh, the crest of the Tokyo pop boom. And so we had to blag our way through a manga selection in order to be competitive. But we didn't really engage with it. I think partly because a lot of it looked quite off-putting. It looked, um, a lot of the stuff that was big and that was easy to stock and that we got good discounts on and made a good margin on was the sort of landfill shonen stuff. Um, Yeah, bits of it. I mean, there was certainly Battle Royale was huge at the time. Which was actually quite good. but there was quite a lot of shoujo stuff as well. Yeah. It was sort of fairly even split. Fruits Basket, I think, was mm, sold as well as huge. Battle Royale did for us. Yeah, we, so we sold so much of this stuff. And it was mostly Tokyo Pop. We were basically riding the, the boom of this one company. But pocket money prices, very cheaply printed, huge, huge business with the kids. And we just sort of didn't have the knowledge to work with it and kind of clutched a bit together, which is how I ended up, and I was a little bit interested in anime, how I ended up exposing myself to a bit more of this. Um, and then time passed, got heavily back into comics again after a bit of a hiatus and sort of embarrassingly realised that having fudged it through a bit, I just didn't really know anything about manga and I'd never gone out of my way to find any good bits. And I was never quite fully, I don't know about you, I was never quite fully dismissive of it, but there was certainly an angle which was just like, this is the shit, watch, what sells, eh, whatever. Yeah, so there's a, there's a certain element for me which is that very little of the stuff that was coming on the shelves uh, appealed particularly strongly um, for two, two big reasons. One, there was a slightly uncomfortable fetishization of Japanese culture that I didn't really enjoy. And this was like 2006 to 8. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and the other thing was that a lot of the stuff that was sort of available in English was very self-consciously cool. Yeah. Um, just like It just fucking shows. It's just big, hot, big shots of the hero characters a lot. Same as just having splash pages every two pages in American comics mm. and superhero comics. A lot of that stuff just didn't really appeal. And so, yeah, with, with having sort of... Manga was this big, not really dissected part of my journey into comics, and I sort of always mentally found it a way of something to, like, actually, it's embarrassing that I don't understand this properly, I should have a, have a bit of a look. And then, basically, we kind of finally hit it on the topic list, and sucked it the fuck up and did some reading, is, is basically how we got here today, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I got here completely differently because I'm not you guys and I didn't work with you. Yes. No. I drove myself. Um, so what we what we tried to do like this is this is not a guide to manga. It's not a summary of manga. This is basically we tried to plug some of the reading gaps in our manga exposure, and we're gonna talk about it. I guess. Yeah. I feel yeah. Three people who are fairly well read correcting a major oversight. 
how well that was corrected again is yeah. also up for debate. I, mean, totally I, know, I know for around. me it was absolutely not well corrected. I've, I've picked up quite a random selection which I've enjoyed, but I wouldn't claim mm. my gap has been plugged. Addendum in two weeks. <laughs> not, yes. you know, how much we can read in two weeks, not how long since Lucy's gap was plugged. We don't need to speculate. No. So shall we talk a little bit about what we've read? Yeah. I just rambled on, so someone else can go first. Perhaps Roger, since you read nothing else. Yes, perhaps Roger. Ah, okay. So, um, I mean, I've read, I, I've covered a few sort of manga titles on the on the podcast, on the blog before, so I, I skipped back over a few of those. Tessie Cohn's Opus, uh, Judge, um, uh, had a, a quick sort of look at Shinjirito's um, Uzumaki. But the things that I kind of picked up from Fresh, these were mostly from um, from recommendations from various people. So, put a call out for recommendations and um, got some interesting things from Clary and from Elliot. Elliot uh, Page. Page, who uh, we met at Thought Level last year, and he's yeah. sort of just general internet people. I mean, he, he's on the UK Anime Podcast, I think. UK Anime, yeah, Network. UK Anime Network Podcast. Um, he sent us some good um, good recommendations, and I just sort of yeah. So out of out of that, and sort of reading around. So, the main things I've looked at were Ode to Kirihito, um, Oishinbo, and uh, Abandon the Old in Tokyo. Is um, that a set of instructions? or <laughs> Something like that. It's, um, I'll, I'll just sit through this. So, um, Ode to Kirihito is uh, it's by um, Asamu Tezuka, and I bought this on digital and was plagued by the fucking thing with the Kindle app on the. I'm glad someone read Tessica though, because I was going to try and read Astro Boy and ran out of time. So yes, he's sorry. Yes, he's the Astro Boy guy basically, and um, Ode to Kirito is um, a medical thriller apparently. I'm often thrilled by medicine. Uh, Body horror, or less than you think. Okay. It's. I mean, I would dispute the medical. I, I I thought it basically read like very early Tintin without the self control. Ooh. So you know that. It's great, I hate it thing. Yes, the thing that you do. Yeah. I hated it, but there were some good bits. Okay. Um, so this is, this was written, this was serialised in, like, I think 1970 to 1971, something like that. So I've, I've, got, I've gone back away with this. And the guy did, did Astro Boy, which people may be familiar with. The I think, I, yeah, I think. Have you read I, Astro Boy? I, I mean, I've seen the cartoon, right. the, the original cartoon. The atomic Robot Kid with a, like, Cowlick, all American hairstyle, and mm. uh, fart, one of the first jetpack. ports to America, I believe. Mm. Yeah, sort of early and and early really days. sort of defining for the um, early anime look, mm. um, in heavily borrowing from Disney and stuff that was mm. starting to filter into Japanese culture at the time. Yeah, Tetsuka also did um, Buddha, which again I remember hefting onto the fucking shelves of the yeah. store because it weighs. Which is a, oh, that a, a seven, seven volume yes, set. Yes, I remember the, that from holding bookstores in my youth. Yeah, the um, and the studying Buddha. Buddhism and thinking maybe that would be a thing, but never actually having any money because mm. I was 16, 17. Freedom from want is. <laughs> Freedom from want, even when you want the Buddhist manga. Yeah. Yeah. And also, he's done also like Letter to Adolf. Yeah. Um, his book about basically Hitler and the Second World War. So, varied, very varied. Mm, yes. an, an accomplished cartoonist. And apparently, this, this is the only thing of his I've read, apparently an accomplished storyteller. And this is where I kind of parted ways, though, to Kirihito. 
because it felt like it had that, and then this happened, and then this happened, narrative logic problem that early Tintin Early had. Tintin, yeah. And Berger really, really learned his shit and learned to tell a very well compacted and contained story. Um, I think this is midway through um, Tezuka's career, isn't it? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, he was sort of late 50s, early 60s, up until the 90s, mm. I think. And what, he, what's... He carried on for a good old while. What's interesting about Ode to Kirito, um, I'm almost certainly pronouncing that wrong. Apparently the title is a bit of a pun on the Japanese sort of pronunciation or enunciation of uh, Christ. Um, is that... It, the bit that's a medical thriller, the bit mm. where there's a guy in a hospital fighting his superiors and trying to solve an, a poorly understood plague, um, yeah. is kind of great. And it's very 70s character drama. It's, it's so there's some like shitty attitudes to women stuff going on in it, but it's from the 70s. You read it as such, um, which isn't to say that that's okay, but you know, you it is, it is at least yeah, on yeah, message yeah. for the era. Um, and that kind of trundles along very nicely, very very clipped small panels. It, it's got this. There's um, I'm going to talk about panel size a lot, I think, in, in this. I don't know if it's a general page size and form factor thing, but something I've noticed about the manga I've read, not all manga, is there's there's a tendency to fairly, like, to very restrained, quite formali- formi- formi- formalist kind of um, small panel stuff, and then occasional breaks into, into big things. But uh, some of what I've read is it had... I'm not going to talk about that now. But yes, the, there's a, a sort of fairly straight-up, slightly thrillery story being told of this sort of grotesque play called, I think, Mom Mouse Syndrome, which turns people into dog-like creatures. So their, yes, their, face, their faces extend creatures, and their, yes. po- their, their posture hunches. They become a suit and crave raw meat and what have you. And, um, and so it, 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 it clips along yes. like this with sort of intrigues about the fact that, yeah, um, Kirihito, who is the... the, the the doctor in the, in the title is, is try, has one theory for how this plague works, and um, Doctor um, Tatsugara, Tatsugura, and, and there's the more senior doctor that is um, is sort of his antagonist, and yeah, that that's all there, and it's 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 working. And then he gets sent out to the village where this plague comes from, and the villagers conspire to have him killed, and then he contracts the plague, and they sort of venerate him a bit because the spirit of the great whatever is in him, and that. Village. It appears to, like one person at any one time has this disease and lives in a special hut where they're fed raw meat and semi-venerated, but also treated with suspicion. Mm. And then they try to get this local, the best of us. local suspicious veneration young girl to and a meat hut. sleep with him to naturalize him to the village so that he become. And, and then he ends up being somehow kidnapped by a sinister and really racistly caricatured um, Macau millionaire and made to fuck a dog in a circus but then he escapes to Libya my, my whole point here is that it goes like off the rails it goes off the rails like it's got a jetpack there's about 50 to 60 pages I see what you mean by medical thriller and then just bam falls off a cliff it's crazy this sounds fascinating it's, it's, it's interesting I didn't enjoy it was it the dog oh, fucking that got you interested no it's the the, it's that in combination. Like, I think most dog-fucking comics would just focus on the dog-fucking. But this it's has a rich life fucking. beyond that. Yeah, yeah. there's like a sadistic... I think it's... Not the cow. Um, anyway, there's a sort of... There's a sadistic, a sadistic 
tycoon that has assembled a freak show and puts the doctor in it. And um, basically, he has to fuck a dog every night for the amusement of people watching this circus. It's not great. And then there's some really weird sort of racial politics stuff. Well, not racial politics, but there's some really bad caricature representations, except also sometimes coupled to some sympathetic portrayals. So he, he goes to... And bear in mind, this is set in the 70s, mm-hmm. written in the 70s. Um, one of the characters goes to South Africa, where there's also been an outbreak of this syndrome um, among the uh, sort of black workforce of a... I think it's a diamond mine or some kind of mine. Yeah. And those characters are drawn in a sort of ah, slightly uncomfortable way. But the sort of... the It's not an uncritical presentation of apartheid. Okay. Uh, so it is... The, the Japanese outsider characters are sometimes used to examine these mm. sort of different geographies and cultures that, that they move into. I think this is why I keep coming back to the OJ comparison. Like the thing with um, his... Chinese friend in the Blue Lotus, where he's having where he's having a go at being liberal, but just can't quite get over the hump. Yeah, this feels like that in a lot of places. I don't know. It's it's, it's really interesting. It's eight hundred bloody pages long as well. And what percentage of that is going off a cliff uh, into a dog? There's no more. There's no more than a hundred pages of what I would characterise as medical thriller. The rest right. is absolute howling insanity. So that's a that's an, that's an interesting start. That's a thing. That's um, a book you can read. Was that was that the first thing you read for this as well? No, no. The first that's thing. Good, the first cause... thing I read for this was um, the last thing I'm going to talk about. Okay. But uh, no, it, it's I I can't. Obviously, from everything I've said, I can't recommend it. It's proper weird, but it is interesting, and it's quite cheap on ebook, so it's, it's an inexpensive mistake to make if you regret it. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting that it's a Tetsuka thing that I haven't heard of. Mm. I mean, I know he's done a lot. There may of be stuff. reasons why, given that the rest of his career seems a lot more kind of mainstream audience oriented. Um, I don't think all of it. No, um. well, this this was recommended, and I just reviews and bits of writing about it kept using the phrase medical thriller, and I was just like. Because he did... Um, That's not a fucking thing. I'm going to find out. He did Blackjack, which is kind of about a superhero doctor, like a surgeon who turns up in a black mask and operates on people. Um, well, that doesn't sound cool. No, but that was sort of... That was mid to late 70s. Um, I wonder if that was just a sort of a take on, a take on something using the same research. Because that was actually quite popular. You mean? I seem to recall. It has a thing that stood out to me as well, which is, um, so quite often, in, at some point we're going to have to properly engage with this whole graphic design thing, but in a lot of modern sort of Anglo-American comics, by modern many like the last 10 years or so, you're, you're getting some really exciting stuff done with page layouts, and some of this is subverting the form and what have you. And it's been going on for longer than that, but I've started. I've really started noticing it as it's become commonplace as opposed to exceptional. Mm-hmm. And in the tiny, tiny slice of manga I've read, I've not seen much of that. I've seen some of that, but this had quite a bit of it. In particular, it quite often used very slanted diagonal page layouts to give a really kinetic feel. Right. It's an interesting book. I don't 
You didn't like the dog fucking. I just didn't know what to take away from it. In particular, I thought there was something kind of broken about the storytelling. But the weird breakneck and then this thing had its own perverse momentum. But Well, it does. The trouble with that kind of storytelling is that it does carry you along just unsatisfyingly. <laughs> Did you ever see um, the adaptation of Tezuka's take on Metropolis? No. Um, so there's a comic of Metropolis, which is the weirdest, loosest adaptation possible and is essentially a sort of Art Deco remake of Astro Boy in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I say, like, that's the thing I can pass, I can't. No, I've made a face. Um, which Otomo, who wrote and directed Akira, um, uh, and wrote a film adaptation of, which again is quite a loose adaptation, and you end up with a weird take on robots in class that is very loosely related to the original Metropolis. It's actually quite quite engaging. Mm. Um, I really like the film, which is very cut down from the comic book, but um, does its own thing very well. Um, and it's directed by one of the Astro Boy directors. Mm. Um, so very much captures that um, slightly cartoonish Otomo look, the bulbous noses and the, the sort of almost Popeye-esque um, designs of some of the characters. Uh, it's well worth watching. Yeah. The other... Um, Otakirito is, yeah, it was serialised in 1970-71. Same time as... Um, I think I'm not going to talk about for a bit, but Abandoned the Old in Tokyo, which was um, Yoshihiro Tatsumi. And they're... Um, there, aren't, there are some interesting stylistic sort of um, similarities, and they're answering some of the same call, and, but at least before it goes mad off the rails and into mm. dog-fucking town, mm. it's sort of the weird cultural stack thing, the sort of not-quite-salaryman, but social pressure, prestige culture, mm. desperation for advancement and to be seen as an upstanding member of society thing. Yes. Um, that Ode to begins by exploring it. You could argue that the descent into kind of being a beast creature and weird degradation and roaming the earth kind of mirrors a sort of down and outy thing or rejection mm-hmm. by that kind of incipient fancy society in the 60s, 70s. Jap- Japanese economic boom in that period, massive social change. You haven't really got options unless you're on this train. Yeah, following. Already, yeah. So you've got post-war destitution of their boom, which is what um, Tatsumi really explores in um, some of his stuff. But, but I mean, you also see, you see even earlier, well, earlier in time in terms of the story, roughly the same time in terms of the creation, but in Beth again, the sort of mm. social implications of status and... Yeah, so it, one of the things that makes Beth again so heartbreaking, I thought, is that, I mean, yes, obviously the bomb is coming, yes. but you're, you're seeing this family deal with a whole bunch of social upheaval yeah. and kind of rejection and, you know. That to me was more kind of surprising and troubling than the bomb, which I already mm. knew was going to be bad. Um, Beth again does a fantastic job of taking this big climactic event that you know is coming as a week you can't escape knowing it's coming and kind of reinterpreting that as a structural mm. tension mm. it's kind of as a the use of it's, it's dramatic ironies really it's ironic advantage it's the Hiroshima bomb as ironic advantage is one of the main tricks in Beth yes. again but it's not glib no it's just really sad and it's also it's a really really long game I mean you don't get only sort of the last 30 pages or so mm. is, is bomb. You've got a really yeah. long, almost kind of aching, agonising build-up to the inevitable. Mm. The, um, 
one of the, so one of the other um, things I read, that, and I, I absolutely love this, but of course I would, was Oishinbo by, um, it's um, Tetsu... Um, Kari? Sorry. Brain. <coughs> I couldn't read my own handwriting, and then I tried to look at the book, and my brain froze. Mm, it's okay. Tetsu... Uh, Korea and uh, and uh, Akira Hanas- Hanasaki. Uh, now I'm sure they're probably a lot. Again, interesting. I would have to read a lot more manga to understand how common this is. But a lot of what I've I've seen has been mostly kind of single cartoonist. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I've read. So I've not read many. I don't think I've read any other kind of um, team up manga books. I'm sure there are. It seems I'm to be, sure yeah, it seems to be very strongly single creator. Mm. The, the bits, a lot of what I've seen have been weighted towards single creator. Um, I think it was about half and half for the stuff that I covered. Hmm. But this is this is a an insanely long running thing that Clary tipped me onto, and it's um, it's about food basically. It looks lovely, even just from the cover. It's it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So uh, it's the story of this guy Yamaoka, uh, who is a feckless journalist and. Um, his dad, saw, and a bunch of other people, but principally his dad, um, Kibara, uh, Kibara, who is the head of Japan's gourmet club and is basically supposed to be the premier gourmand and just a sort of... Like, imagine Brian Sewell for restaurants. <clears throat> it's just fucking awful. He's like... Except... Apologies in advance to those people who love Brian Sewell. Yeah, the, the, the Cabarro character is um, so he's doing he's doing a few things. He's you're sort of he's being a standard austere dad, and there's a lot of bad blood in the relationship. But and he's he's sort of standing in for a degree of class inflected culinary snobbery. Mm-hmm. So he's normally pictured wearing traditional dress, mm-hmm. and um, Yamoka is wears like European style sort of office wear with a loosened tie and often kind of slacking off or snoozing at his desk. There's a kind of generational business thing. Uh, Yamoka's from kind of business land, but also from what, like Gen X or something. I don't know. This this ran from 1983 to 2008. Okay, damn, that's long. So he's, he's sort of like the young end of our parents' generation, I guess. Yeah. Versus the young end of our grandparents' generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it instantiates some sort of formality, informality, uh, tradition, non-tradition conflict. Except in that the dad figure is only, like he's stuffy and social, climby and austere, but his attitude to food isn't. Neither of their attitudes to food are kind of, so the dad is constantly on about the fact that you've got to love it and feel it and this is important and that's important and you can't be a slave to technique and fanciness. Mm. All the stuff you wouldn't expect to come from a character who's supposed to be a stuffed shirt's not. Yes. So, and this is one of the things that makes it Particularly in a fairly sort of rigid and codified style yeah. of cuisine. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole interlude rant about that. But, but there's a lot. Yeah. There are many codified styles, mm. basically, where the rant yeah. comes out. But um, and, and none of them are necessarily right. And this, this, is, this is the central thing of their relationship, is that they basically agree with each other about food, and if there wasn't such a sort of ridiculous family feud going on, if there mm. weren't such bad blood and such different other attitudes, that it'd be, you know... They're basically... Their argument... The loose theme to most of the short stories in it is there's a spurious setup for a food challenge between father and son. One of them wins, usually the son, in a kind of tweaking the nose of authority sort of a way. 
but sometimes he gets smacked down into his place for not understanding something. Mm -hmm. And this is used as a kind of narrative vehicle for a sort of gentle food dialectic. Mm -hmm. So you get things like, through a story of sort of strife and bullshit, here's the best way to make dashi stock, or whatever. And the culinary instruction stuff is fascinating, because it's a window into a food culture I don't know much about, and to attitudes from within that. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like watching, I don't know, like watching a non-obnoxious but non-voluptuous cooking show, like whatever the modern equivalent of Delia would be. And I don't know that there is such a but thing. In which a family argument breaks out. Oh, The Chef's Table from Netflix, there's definitely a few of those. Mm. It's, it's brilliant, and it, the characters are sort of, they're slightish, they're a bit caricature in places, but it's sort of fun watching the relationships. And, it's, it, it has an almost Saturday morning cartoon feel to the scrap between the dad and the son, and it's got a sort of grim inevitability and kind of cartoony bounce to it. But it, it's got a really, really lovely set of examples of this visual thing that I've noticed a lot. Mm. Again, caveat in the manga I've read, which is a tendency to quite slight character design a lot of the time, quite cartoony, quite loose panels, and then an occasional break into quite acute detail. You might, I mean, so Beth again does this a lot. Yes. Um, so it'll sort of trip along broadly but not always and sometimes this is saliently subverted you'll get a kind of gentle trip along with a light breezy style and then a tonal switch or a register switch which is accompanied by a visual register switch what this does that I've not seen I may have seen before but it's certainly not seen often is you get those pullbacks to individual high detail single pages or panels that are kind of more acutely detailed than you, you might have for some of the character work bits. But it also does what's almost like a depth of field effect, but with detail. Mm. So you'll have panels which are quite loose, quite cartoony, but the food is in this intricate, high register, high detailed mm -hmm. line work style. Again, it's like, yeah, depth of field for detail is the best way I, mm. I could come up with a, a thinking, a thinking of it. Um, you know, it's wearing its colours on its, on its sleeve for that one, I guess. Like, it's, it's, it's about that. It, and this, this, has been, this has done crazy money and run for, like, well over 20 years. That's pretty good. It's, it's big and it's daft and it's fun. Quite often the stories have a glib little twist, like, oh, that's why he thought you were a shit cook when everyone else thought you were great. Or mm. there's this thing with um, uh, serving... Sea bream having first rinsed it in a water of a precise salinity because it matches the sea in the seawater in the straits that it was caught in, and some things with glass noodles, and some very glib, like fussy, fine detail mm. stuff that's always slightly coy and a little bit aha. And then occasionally one of the characters will just get smacked the fuck down for that. <laughs> Is, is that all of it? Oh, God, no. Okay, because I was going to say, if that's 20 years, no, it was going no. to No, no, so um, in English it's available in. It's either seven or somewhat, but not massively more than seven volumes. Okay. And it's a greatest hits compilation. So this is the English, uh, it's Viz Media, I think. Yeah, Viz Media distributing it in English. Uh, volume one, a la carte, uh, is, is, what it's, is what it's called. And it's like a condensed best of. So it's a loosely chronologically ordered, but not, if there are, if there is continuity spanning between the short stories, it's sort of eroded and lost. Okay. It's, it's in order. The stuff available in English is by no means the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, um, Oishimbo, I absolutely loved it. It's quite slight, but I loved it. 
What I really, really, really loved, though, again, I've not read that much this week, but um, was Abandon the Old in Tokyo by um, Yoshihiro Tatsumi. This also 1970. What's interesting here is um, there's an interview in the back where he's uh, interviewed by Adrian Tamin. Um, and the question is put to him, so this stuff feels a bit like 60s, 70s underground comics in the US, were you influenced by it? And he was like, I didn't have a fucking clue that was going on. <laughs> um, and it is very similar. Like the social concerns in the period are similar. The things mm-hmm. are reflected. It's and he he even he coins this term um, gekia, which is sort of a bit like graphic novels as opposed to comics. I guess is the way it's often explained. But it's his term. I think he coins it in 1957 for like grittier, grubbier manga, something a bit like the underground comics thing. And it has this feel a bit like a really fucking angry Robert Crumb including some of the same slightly questionable gender politics-y stuff. This uh, Abandon the Old in Tokyo basically feels like Robert Crumb via Japanese non-body horror. Mm. You know the sort of swathe of Japanese... I'm struggling to get there, to be honest. The sort of yeah. swathe of Japanese movies that are basically about horrible things going on in suburbia and people just achingly, having achingly miserable lives that fall apart in increasingly surreal ways. The David Lynch well, movies of Japan. I guess. Um, th- so this is that. This is a series of short stories about effectively urban alienation and things just going horrifyingly, horrifyingly wrong. Like to the point where a dude fucks a dog. Again with the dog fucking. I think I just got unlucky. Two points is not a pattern. You got on a dog fucking streak by mistake is what you're yeah, saying. You tried I, to educate yourself about magazines. And, and I ended up with the dog fucking. It's a 66% hit rate for you. It's not great. No. I'm not, but let's not go causation correlation here. No. You can't wink at a microphone, can you? <laughs> so the, the dog fucking one is really interesting because it's, it's the, the exact thing that he's, he's doing. It, it's this story, it's called um, Unpaid, and it's a, a man who owns a, a business that's just, just folded. And it's focusing on that disproportionate societal shame thing. So everywhere he goes, people are whispering about how he's a failure because his business has failed. 70s, boom time, he's mm-hmm. fucked. And he keeps walking past this sign that says something like, Pet Appreciation Club, spend time with a cute dog. Mm-hmm. And one day he's just so thwarted, and some mobsters or some loan sharks have come to extract payment from him and demanded that he get on all fours and bark like a dog because he can't pay them. And he's like, I'll do anything. And I'm like, huh, I'll bark like a dog. And then they hit him and say, no, we still want our money. Is barking like a dog a particular Japanese shame thing that also comes up in Death Again? It could be. I've seen it in a few places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to check. I didn't check. Mm-hmm. And then he walks past the sign and is just finally, Ugh. and I can't tell whether again, culturally, lack of context or whatever, I could go back and try and understand. I can't tell whether, as a kind of intended reader or the way the story is positioned, what levels of ironies are operating here, whether mm. kind of, it feels like he doesn't know he's about to walk into a dog bordello. I mean, how would you? But, well, this is the thing, I don't know how heavily telegraphed it was, I, I, I don't know if there are, I don't know whether there's an ironic advantage operating here. I don't know whether as a reader, I, it is plausible for me to expect to know that. Cultural materialism, reconstruction. Yes, like there's like the something where if you were Japanese yeah. reading this in the original, they would have signaled quite clearly it was a dog bordello because that's yeah. definitely a thing. But yes, so he um, he ends up in a. In the, the panel progression. Dog cafes. I think that's different. Mm. I hope that's different. You drink it's dogs? Kind of public. Yeah, they put them in a blender. Yeah, it's not great. It's, 
The saddle woofs and the buzzing sound. <laughs> Just the nose spinning down until. <laughs> Why did I make myself sad? And there's this wonderful panel of him sat on a like grubby mattress as this dog is brought in, and he just looks like, "What the fuck is going on?" And then this achingly sad, he fusses the dog, and oh, they took your teeth out. And then he gradually realizes, and the dog tries to knock him off, and he's horrified and pushes it away. And then he just kind of goes with it. He's very lonely, you said. Yeah, it's just horrible. And this is one of the nicer ones in here. Wow. There's a short story about a guy who, where the only thing that can bring him joy is his pet monkey, and he meets what he thinks is a, li- is a nice girl, but she turns out not to be very nice, and in the course of trying to impress her, he gets his arm cut off by some industrial machinery, um, tries to change his life, gives away his monkey to the zoo, and all of the other monkeys tear it limb from limb and eat it. I feel and this was your favourite. This was your favourite. This is the okay, one you enjoyed the most. Look, it made me very unhappy and sad and angry, but it's so well done. Like life. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know about yours recently, but mine hasn't been particularly well. Very unhappy and sad and angry. Yeah, just... Mm, this is better executed than most of my life. Um, it's just, he's really good at doing this. It's horrible. It's acute and it's painful, and he's, there's, a, there's really good use of light and dark. So there's some sort of, sort of chiaroscuro-y things and it's panel composition stuff. also that you mentioned Adrian Tomino because a lot of his, it sounds like his short collections, but they're less horrible mm. and more about the kind of inner sadness stuff. Yeah, yeah because the light is, dark is very much there this as is well. quite, His short collections tend to be a guy being a wanker until everything falls apart. There are some of these. This is quite up at 11 for that. Um, one of the, there's a thing about a window cleaner who sort of voyeuristically watches a CEO have an affair with his secretary and then it turns out that the, the girl is his daughter and he attempts to it starts off being his thwarted life as a window cleaner and then he kind of has a bit of a break and attempts to just sort of wash her clean good lord uh, it's just but you loved it yeah, okay. Well, it's got some it's got some proper fuck gender politics what's the subtext of what you're saying there? <laughs> I'm, no not sure, I'm not sure the microphone picks no it up. Accusations. I do not endorse it. You merely enjoy it. So one of the things <laughs> I read... I don't actually think you're a bad person. I know this stuff is possible. I'm sorry, it's, it's, I'm just being a dick. I think, I think he is. I enjoyed... I mean, like, I enjoyed... Not enjoyed, but massively artistically appreciated the way Barefoot Game made me cry. But, yeah, it's... So one of the things I read um, was uh, Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service by E.G. Otsuka. And it feels like it's inherited a certain amount of that. So the basic setup is there's a bunch of teenagers who are slightly shit um, students at a Buddhist university. um, And they're not going to be good monks or anything productive. So they end up uh, coming up with a service based on their various skills that allows them to find corpses and take those corpses to where they need to be in order for their souls to be released into the next life. So... Kurosagi is a, is a black crane, so they're sort of like a collective budget, psychopomp. Budget um, FedEx psychopomps. Yes. Yeah, I think that was the English translation. Um, and it's um, it starts out very, very light. Um, like, are we really going to do this? This guy can douse for corpses. This guy can speak to the dead. One person has a hand puppet that gives them useful directions, supposedly from an alien. Uh, this sounds a lot fluffier than yeah but then you get to the end of the, then you get to the end of the first story and there's sort of quite a lot of 
implied paedophilia and some genuinely grim stuff going on. Um, And so I wondered if the sort of the abandoned the old in Tokyo was something uh, similar because there's a bit where they're trying to recreate a sort of traditional abandonment of the elderly um, in in the sort of fields outside the town um, and they can't do it properly. They can't find the right field or they can't figure out where this corpse came from. Why did we get rid of that as an idea? Because the current system seems equally macabre. <laughs> um, the title in this comes from a short story where someone tries to get rid of his geriatric mum so that he can get laid. Yes, that's not quite without that. a dog. No dog this time. Okay. But again, it's got some horrifying, like Madonna horse stuff going on. But the sort of yeah, the sort of the, the sort of the setup involves quite a lot of corpses, and yet isn't that macabre? But somehow, sort of uh, pulls into macabre territory. And generally, there's sort of twists in the tail, and and someone gets their comeuppance, and yeah. it can be in really really grim. No ways. one gets their comeuppance in this. So the the abandoned the old one is this wage slave dude is trying to impress his fiance yeah. but he lives with his mum who's constantly pissing herself and used to be a hooker and is terribly demanding and doesn't appreciate him um, yeah so, so this is blows a month's savings on an apartment to put her up in and leave her to die so he can go on a sex holiday with his fiance right and then jumps off the train as it's leaving the platform because he has an attack of regret attempts to save his mum um, but she's sort of dead or already dying and he gets caught in a traffic jam and, you know, everything is horrible. Does he not get to go on the sex holiday? No, um, no, one, no one ends up happy in any of these stories. No one everyone goes on is, a sex holiday. Everyone is fucked. I think this is probably as close as you could get to that for a fairly lightweight serial. Um, so it's got some really beautiful art in it. There's some, some great sections that make use of the sort of traditional texturing techniques in manga, so the various different... Um, cut out overlay papers for texturing and things like that. There's, it sort of opens on this thing which is sort of view of the mountain down to the ground using different bits of texture and it works amazingly well. But also oh, it's full no of weird no pedophilia and corpses. No one said Hakusai yet. No, no one has. Um, I don't think there have been any references in anything I read. That said, I am culturally illiterate uh, when it comes to this stuff. And so, I'm sure it's a miracle he's got through this podcast. It really is. I do like the pictures though. Um, I found that really interesting and I, I quite liked it I picked up the first of the big omnibus editions that uh, I think Dark Horse are putting out hmm. I think it's one of the ones that they distribute um, so I read that and then absolutely at the other end of the scale uh, I've been reading One Punch Man by which started as a webcomic I think by someone called One who was only referred to as One um, and the, the books are a redrawn version with an artist called Yusuke Murata. And it's a big spoof of giant escalating fight anime um, <laughs> and, uh, and manga. So the, God, the amount of anime I've seen that started off promising and then turned into fucking giant escalating fight for four episodes. So the basic premise is that the, the main character has uh, decided to fight for justice and has trained himself to be incredibly strong and unbeatable and now he's bored as fuck um, he's incredibly bored because he can he can be anything in one punch um, and it's just a series of sort of comic vignettes around this so the front the front cover is him looking incredibly pissed off um, carrying his shopping home sort of mid-swing with this monster with a hole in its chest in the background which sums up but he's so 
I'm sort of worn away by the drudgery of it all. He's presented almost like a stick figure at times. He's completely bald. He's got very little facial expression. Everything else is sort of full-on Dragon Ball Z-esque, um, hyper-action. Hyper mm. And he is just this kind of icon, basically. He's a, he's a stick man with eyes and a cape at times. Um and it's really good fun. I think even with a fairly minimal um, knowledge of manga, I could get some of the references. And you read something the, nice. All of the individual stories are short enough that it's not nice. I mean, he, he pulverizes things. People explode. There's a lot of That's nice. death and murder. And, and nice. It's, but it's kind of like uh, the Venture Brothers in tone. It's just completely taking the piss out of everything in this culture with a certain amount of affection and a certain amount of venom. Um, and, yeah, lots and lots of fun. Even if you're not hugely familiar, you can definitely tell, oh, that's meant to be from Dragon Ball Z, oh, that's from Attack on Titan. It's quite easy to do that. Um, I read Tech on King Crete as well, which is... Mid-2000s. and he's crazed type of violence. Crazed type of violence again, yeah. Two kids, two orphans in a place called Treasure Town um, who get sucked into gang warfare. One of them is basically, is sort of an innocent or as much of an innocent as you can be when you beat the shit out of people all day, every day. And his brother is sort of hyper-protective, old before his time. And they're both... They sort of refer to themselves as superheroes, and they they might be magic. They might they, they might, might they might be magical yeah. cat shaman spirit creatures. Oh god! One of them's um, called black, the other's called white. Okay. Um, they yeah. might they skip around the rooftops. They're definitely like hyperkinetic. Mm. Um, seemingly uncatchable feral street children, but they actually and unpleasantly beat people to death with lengths of piping for getting on their nerves or encroaching on their territory. Like, We've all done it. The Yakuza are afraid of them and they're nine. Holy fuck. Um, and it's, it's sort of the one thing that I read that was outside of a fairly traditional manga art style. So it's very wobbly line, sort of almost um, Eurocomics-y. There's, I think... I don't. I, I, there's a certain amount of Mobius in the way that the cities are set up. Mm. Sort of a lot the, of the city is wonderful. A lot of verticality and a lot of deep, very perspectivey pits, um, and the city is a character and all of that. Um, yeah, it's a really cliched take by now, but um, it's definitely the case. And it's again. One of the things that I sort of kept coming back to with um, Corpse Delivery Service and Tech on Kingcrete was just how uneasy the juxtaposition of the violence and the surreal and the comic was for me. Mm. Um, I think of the stuff I've read, the tone has been less coherent than I would tend to find in the stuff that I would read in Western comics. I went to a really interesting series of lectures on magic realism when I was an undergrad. And the guy giving the course um, was outlining a, a sort of a thing that he'd noticed or something that had cropped up, which is that the, the uneasy tension in a lot of magic realism of the sort of naturalization of the magical, the sort of the tendency to just sort of carry on with your life while this shit happens, 
is occasionally saliently disrupted. And his thesis broadly was that it is not only but most commonly disrupted by either violence or the sacred. Hmm. As kind of transgressive categories that can unsettle that sort of... I think he was basically talking about the magical and the real as a sort of fragile equilibrium Mm. that can be knocked off by, well, effectively, I guess the violent disturbs the real from within its own category and the sacred disturbs the magical from within its own category, I suppose is where you might go with that. Just wonder if there's a thing there. Possibly, but sometimes also just corpses get up and fuck people up. And some toddlers hit people with a rebar and... I don't know. I was trying. I I wish Borges was still alive that we could have asked him about this. (laughs) He'd just hit you with a plank. Mm. Well into that. Um, Because I have to read... The way I approached this is I only went for stuff that appealed to me. I didn't want to go... I'm going to read Naruto. Oh my god, I don't like Naruto. It's about this kid bouncing around. It's not fun. Magical fox spirits bollocks. So I read a book about... Um, There's the... so much random porn of it as well. Oh god, yes. Just any kind of fetish site, there'll be the Naruto subsection. Yeah. Well, unless one of you whips out a pen now, I'm pretty sure there's no porn about Project X Cup Noodle. Uh, which is <laughs> a, a... I put my dick in a cup noodle once. Yeah, it's a book about the history of the pot noodle. Uh-huh. Uh, the conception of the pot noodle, or the cup noodle, uh, if we want to be strictly on brand for these guys. Yeah. Um, the processes that, that went through testing, reiterating, and, and getting their it's marketing. A and weird business hagiography, basically. Yeah, and there's a few of them. There's one for the, like, the 7-Eleven chain in, oh. in Japan. You sound great. I love this. This is show. the Project X series. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. They're, they're about how businesses iterated their way to success. Hagiographic business biographies. In manga format. In sort yeah. of, yeah, in sort of iconic Japanese companies. Perfect. Um, it was really good fun, actually. Uh, well, I, it's, it's, it's just one middle-aged man fetishistically focusing on the fact that it'll never sell if the container isn't right. Oh, God. Mm. It wasn't wrong. And one very young salaryman who has to find a shrimp that will stay red when you freeze-dry it. That's a large part of the book, trying to find the right shrimp. Did it make you want to eat cup noodles? Not hugely, no. Okay. Well... What's wrong with you? I don't maybe... hate instant ramen. But... So, no, no, no. the instant pho? No. Oh, it's good. I'm, I'm very thing? happy to yeah. eat instant noodles, but it's just the sort of the cup noodle Bring you here is the pot noodle, and the pot noodle is grim, whereas the sort of... Oh, Christ, ...one yes. you get from the Asian shelves in the supermarket might be fine. Yes. Like, I had some Nisei uh, tonkotsu ramen the other day, because... Uh, I stocked up on ramen for my spatula because I realised there'd be times when I just wouldn't be fucked cooking. Of course. Um, you know that's not true. Hmm? I don't think you're capable of not cooking. Well, I made some ramen. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really interesting book. And there, when I got a British one that smelled sick. It's not so strongly sick I couldn't actually eat it. Was the that book? the weird sweet and sour one? No, I don't even touch sweet and sour. Pot noodles. Pot noodles. The bad pot noodles. Yeah. The golden yeah. wonder, bad, the bad... No, it wasn't a Golden Wonder one. It was a, it was another brand. I can't remember what it's called though, but it was bad. Don't eat that shit that I can't tell you about. Avoid it. Avoid the one that smells like sick. Basically, do that with all foods that smell like sick. Oh, God. Um, just avoid those. Just avoid sick and things that smell like sick. Yeah. Takes us on to audition. No. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, that, I, I think I read a fair, fair range of things um, and found a lot of things were interesting. There was nothing there that I sort of felt like, oh, well, I wouldn't have read that out of the ordinary. Lucy? So I went completely different. I went pretty recent shoju, basically. Um, so I read Beth again, which I think we've broadly covered. Um, I mean, the entirety of my notes on it say, fucking hell, humanity. Um, we know how that one ends. Yeah. So I read something called uh, Amakusa 1637, which is by Michio Akaishi. Um, so it starts off kind of pretty typical high school story. You've got a group of kids who are the student council for the year, and among them includes someone who's essentially a world-class kendo master. She's kind of the president. And someone who is basically the smartest girl in Japan, and a bunch of other people who have, you know, really good qualities that you'd want if your gang were somehow to end up having mysterious adventures. I love a fucked up school council. This yes. is like a, it's a staple of. So I don't read the mangas that do this, but I occasionally watch the animes that do this. So yes. it's just such a thing. So they go on their senior trip, which is a cruise, and there's a weird boat accident, and they get chucked back in time to 1636. Which is very specific. Yeah. Um, which is just before the Shimabara Rebellion. So basically, that was they're in a part of Japan. It's near um, it's near Nagasaki, where the kind of Portuguese Catholic Christian influence mm. kind of took hold and then got kicked out. Samurai Champloo is set around that, or some of that. And one of the reasons it got kicked out was because of this rebellion. Basically, a lot of local peasants had converted, had a great big rebellion, wanted more Catholicism, and that was the point at which they were like, actually, no more of these religious foreigners and their fucking religion. Mm. Um, we'll keep the guns and the chilies, but everything else can fuck off. Precisely. Also, the uh, tempura mm. was Portuguese yeah. originally. Didn't it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so... They end up back in time, and everyone's kind of chill about it, and they've got their cell phones, which sometimes work whenever the sky is red, but not when the sky is not red. A lot of great art in the Edo period as well. Yeah. A lot of great art. That's true. Yeah. Just thinking of reasons you'd want to be back there. Yes. Um, however, there's also a lot of strife with the local like feudal lords and shit. Yeah. They want to put the Catholics down. That's not great. So these teens turn up, and the main one is basically mistaken for... The guy who ultimately is meant to lead the rebellion who was killed and they more or less think she's him and also kind of a god and a bunch of random stuff happens with the technology that kind of makes her look like a god to those people and how do you convince them you're not a god yeah so she just kind of decides to go along with it and being an amazing kendo master really helps when people are trying to fuck her up and so it's all kind of going along like that she accidentally gives a wolf a cesarean section um, Accidentally. Well, there's loads of wolves and they fuck them up with their swords and then a wolf babies come out of some of them and she's like, yay, wolf babies, and that's them. <laughs> and then someone's like, why are you holding a wolf baby? This is the one with um, the pigeons thing with the trees. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do with pigeons? So I should say this was something that I read. It was a, it was a free fan translation and I mm. ran into some of the problems you run into with a free fan translation. Mm. It kind of also went off a cliff a bit and I don't know how much of that so the translation seemed to get worse I think they changed translator mm -hmm. part way through but it also got fucking weird so weirder than that weirder than that there's a scene where a um a, the load of the sort of like antagonists come and fuck up someone's house and they're gang raping his, the guy's wife saying this woman sure has energy and somebody else is going through her drawers saying they have quite a few nice kimonos 
It's uh, weird. Yeah. And also they end up with this kind of weird, sort of bizarre utopian take on the present day. So the kind of the class president goes off on one about how much she wants to go back to the present time because it's a wonderful place where everyone is equal and you can be any religion you want and any gender you want. And I'm like, that's not really true. It might be more true than 1635. Definitely. But like, Jesus fuck. Yes. So I think um, in terms of the format, it didn't look like it was doing much different. One thing that I noticed was it's really... It's quite hard to do those big sweeping action scenes when everything is so compressed in terms mm. of panel and page. There's a lot of... Although I actually found it slightly less hard to follow than a big swoopy action scene in yeah. a Western comic. Uh, yeah, um, kind of similar, I think. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting but strange, and I gave up when it got weird. But I'm glad I tried. I think part of the reason for that was the thing you mentioned about the... Um, the action scenes is that in a lot of ways they mirror anime where the characters pull apart and you'll see you, don't, you know you'll cut to one character jumping down or attacking the other often with but a background they, that's not actually a background of where they are just a kind of plain color yeah. splash or some voosh well, line which I don't is, know I mean I don't know which medium led with doing that no but the fact that it's in your brain the fact that you have sort yeah. of separation of the two characters and then coming back together Rather um, than again, sort of aping within the confines scenes. of the escalating perma fight pseudo yeah. genre. Yes. So um, I've saved the best till last. Okay. So I read something called Angel Heart, which is by Udo Shinohara. Angel Heart is the title is probably the worst thing about it, and I can't tell if it's a bad translation or just a mm. bad title. But it it's it not was a remake of the Ricky yeah, Mickey Rourke film, is it? It is not, oh. unless the Mickey Rourke film is very different to how I thought it was. <laughs> so, it's set at a kind of weird hospital, which is run by people with absurd, enormous hair, anime hair, like I just fucking love big, foofy, swooshy, curly, foofy. I used to really want that. <laughs> Amazing hair. Um, they have a robotics company that has been trying to get a robot dog so that the patients can interact with it so it won't bring in pathogens and stuff but that's realistic enough to be a dog and they've tried a couple of different approaches they've got one dog that's basically programmed to kind of act like a dog sort of periodically and every so often it barks and runs around and does the stuff there's another guy he's been working on a little dog called lag and uh lag is kind of a dog ai more than anything like he's programmed it not just to like replicate a dog but to try and learn to be a dog and it's just the story of watching it learn to be a dog, and it's the cutest little dog, and I nearly cried, and I love it so much. I can't work out that this sounds amazing already. No, it's so good. Like, it genuinely touched my heart, and I don't even have one. This is, this is like me with gay hockey pie comics, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. The little dog. It was so cute and so good, and it saved everyone's lives at one point. Yeah? Very selflessly. And um, there's, an, there's an old man who's dying. You're intermediating through dogs again. Oh, God, I am. And um, the dog comes and visits him. So basically, they don't tell anyone that it's a robot dog. Right. Um, because they don't want to kind of ruin the patient experience. Um, but there's this one guy who, he dies, but he leaves a letter for the dog. And at this point, the guy who's been working on the dog realises the dog is smart enough to read the letter. So he's like, it's kind of weird giving a letter to my dog to read without it reading it first. But, you know, hey, anyway. And it turns out that the guy had been like a clockmaker or something in his real life, and he'd known that it was a robot dog, but he didn't mind anyway because the dog still brought him joy. So he wrote it a letter, and then the dog read it. And the dog understood and it. And the dog understood it. How did the dog feel? I think just sweet and nice. 
This is kind of adorable. I really liked it. I, so I bought it. How, how does one acquire it? It's on Comixology. And it's very cheap. Mm. I bought it because I thought it looked so absurd and mawkish. I wanted to make fun of it, and then it just melted me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh wow! That's my that's my dog comics experience, and no one got fucked. <laughs> well, today we've clearly advanced a unifying and entirely complete theory of manga and interpreted it perfectly with our superior Western minds. Uh, there's, there's dog fucking and dog not fucking, is what I've yeah. learned. I'm, I'm less, uh, less disinclined to read manga than I was. I think it's been useful for me in that regard. That's good, that's progress. I'm still not going to seek tons out, but I've... I've found plenty that I enjoyed. I still can't quite work out why I was so dismissive at the time. I assume it was just... Because the stuff that seemed popular was shit and Tokyo Pop were flooding the market with whatever yeah. the fuck they could get their I hands on. I assume it was just Spurgeon Law, right? Like, we just we came into contact with the fact that the majority of everything is rubbish. But also, so, yeah. so something I've struggled with is I absolutely know that there's a subset of manga that I'm going to really like and I have no idea how to find it. So, so discoverability this is, is... This is a huge bad. problem. When I when I shouted for recommendations, a few people replied. But I was, I I also Googled like I tried multiple search terms. I looked through a few sort of books and guides and articles and bits and pieces. And I tried to find like basically, what I was trying to approximate is what is the manga I haven't read that I should be reading? How do you start mm-hmm. with this shit? And there was so much stuff that sounded terrible or kind of sounded theoretically worthy but a bit rubbish. I think the worst I saw was Gothic Sports, which was a series about Gothic fashion people who also play sports. So there's a, there's a huge subset of um, sports comics there. Again, so at risk of doing the patronising Also thing. Harlequin, also French language, also yeah. big and gay. There was a lot of Harlequin stuff. Yes. Like, just, just Harlequin Tons romance, it, but it's but manga. manga. Yeah. You got knocked so, up by the CEO kind of thing. There's, there's a lot of this shit. What you... Uh, fuck it. We have to... It's just comics. It's huge. <laughs> bon like, it's It's... You can do that. Well, you you can do that on our behalf. The the uptake is not constrained in the same way it is by the sort of superhero thing. So it's it doesn't come pre niched, which is to say that any amount of genre crap can exist as comics. Yes, um, as such. And boy, does it sports, whatever. Plenty of it still exists as sprawling, continuity heavy yes. epics, yes. which is off putting in and of itself and sprawling continuity heavy kind of pulp. So you've got your Naruto, you've got your One Piece, you've got. I don't know, Death Note, you've got that thing with the pirates, you've got Joey Vu's Bizarre Adventure, yes, you've got all of the high school things. Um, oh, I forgot to say in the um, high school teens go back in time, the the main one also turned a gay dude straight. Not ideal. She totally did, though. Uh, <laughs> it was weird, I don't know why that was included. That he was sounds like, weird. I was definitely gay until I met her. It sounds like wish fulfillment, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it sounds pretty bad. Stay away. It's, um, I, I don't know. I, I def- I, this, is, this has made me realise so that my previous engagement was very superficial, and going back and reading some of the older stuff has made me want to do more of that, basically. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I think the, the issue of not having someone who I trust to recommend me stuff mm. is a big part of why I haven't read a lot. Um, because that's really useful getting started out. 
Well, I have the same thing with comics. I mean, I have quite weird niche taste in a lot of ways, but also you guys know me and get that and have thrown a bunch of stuff my way. That's great. I don't have that person for manga. No. um, I'm going to grab that as a segue to um, say thank you to Elliot. Mm. Who, um, as we said, uh, podcasts I think about mostly uh, mostly anime at um, is it UK Anime News, Anime Network. You can anime Network. We'll link to another show notes. Things. But he um, also runs a search engine. So we talked about discovery is a huge problem, mm. right? Also, getting hold of things legally is a huge problem. Oh God! It's I, all manga fox. It's all manga fox. It's so dirty. This is like my shit version of Roman Mars at the end of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, trying to get you to take go on go on Squarespace, um, but. But it is a fucking nightmare getting all of this stuff legal. I used to watch so many bad fan subs of anime off the internets and just, yeah. Um, Tell us about your imaginary son. One of the things that um, that Elliot does is runs a search engine for legally sourceable uh, manga, um, which you can find at hidamare.moe. We'll put it in 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 the show notes, but basically you tap something and it'll find you somewhere you can actually buy it in English legally as opposed to having to torrent the fuck up. He also sent us some great recommendations. Um, Chris Argy Corpse Delivery Service, uh, you read. I was already reading that. I'd like credit for that. Uh, Yoshihiro Tatsumi, that's how I found about um, found out about that. Recommends something called Flowers of Evil, which he describes as a fucked up love story set in a backwater town where things go from bad to worse for the up his own ass, sort of it, so it's sort of his own fault, but you kind of root for him, protagonist. That sounds like a strong theme. <laughs> Yes. Oh, apparently it's 11 volumes long, though. Um, Ode to Kirihito. Okay, I did just read everything Elliot told me to read. Uh, <laughs> something called Pluto. Eight volume single story. Updated lengthened version of Astro Boy. Yada, yada, yada. Sounds kind of fun. Um, oh, Christ. There's a thing that's 13 volumes. Everything's really long. Mm. Apart from Angel Heart, which is a short one shot about a really adorable dog robot. We'll put it in the show notes. We will. And with that, I think we're we're done. We've done manga. We've done it in depth. We've done a lot of manga. I think we should do it again. Yeah, I, I, my, one of my thoughts was there's actually so much more that I want to read. I want to do another manga one. I mean, I'm going to try and work more into my regular stuff anyway. I've been working in a bit. Well, we'll come back to you in a, in a while with, with more manga and see how we've got on. Yeah. But until then... <laughs>